Welcome to the Yoga Addiction. If you're a yoga teacher or student who wants a deeper understanding of yoga with respect to science, health, and longevity, this podcast is for you. Every week, we'll dive deep into a topic to help you be a better yogi, teacher, and communicator. We want to give you a practical understanding of the current science related to yoga and help you create quality, safe, and inspired classes, whether they are for yourself at home or for your students. I'm Natalie Sanger. And I'm Sandy Hewitt. We look forward to you taking part in our conversations. All right. Good morning, Sandy. Good morning, Nat. Um, we have a guest on today's podcast. Yeah, good morning, we do. Megan. Megan. Good morning. <laughs> so this is Megan Johnston. Um, and she's a cool gal that I met at one of the yoga medicine trainings a couple of years ago. The shoulder, I think was the first one. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And the class skills a few years ago. Yeah. Already like two years ago, I think. And that blows my mind. Was it two? I think it was. Oh my God. Yeah. I think two. Yeah. I think yeah. it was. Yeah. Yeah. Time flies and you're having fun. Um, and I wanted to talk to you because, well, I think you're just a really cool person and you're kind of more of a specialist towards restorative. Was that, is that yeah. right? That's right. Yeah. Restorative. I teach a lot of yin, um, as well as kind of more therapeutic practices. Um, sometimes with specialized populations like the traumatic brain injury community, or um, I do a lot around stress, the nervous system, um, both kind of in studio settings as well as in workplace settings. So yeah, stress, the nervous system and mental health are really my passion and they all fused together beautifully in restorative yoga. Cool. That is awesome. Um, so let's get started right from the beginning in like how you got into restorative specifically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my journey with yoga has been, I mean, like all of us, I think it, it really kind of evolves and transforms over the years. Um, so I started off teaching yoga uh, nine years ago now in 2010. And the kind of, um, I was 20 at the time and the, it was an interesting sort of period of my life, um, because I was at university at the time and had kind of found yoga and like so many others in yoga had kind of found a homecoming into myself and a way of being present in my body that I hadn't really been able to access before. And that was really foundational to starting to change my relationship with myself in more kind of positive and healthy ways and, and learning how to care and nourish for myself. And at the time, um, I became really, really interested in yin yoga and there were some reasons for that. So, um, at the time, I had been kind of um, a really busy overachiever um, and had accumulated years of kind of stress and fatigue. And so I actually had my first burnout at the age of 20, which oh, was, shit. I know it was kind of interesting. And, and, and I think in many ways, like I know other people have can relate probably, but, you know, we do live in a society that kind of um in many ways rewards that kind of like go-getter mentality and so I had been in in kind of I'd I'd accumulated all of these like patterns 
of kind of overachieving and, and had been rewarded, had gotten all sorts of like accolades and scholarships. And so I didn't really see that anything was wrong until my body literally started to break down. And I was away at university at the time, and I started having all of these problems um, uh, with my hands. Like I couldn't take notes in class because there was so much inflammation and stress in my hands and forearms. And I started oh not being able to sleep. I started having problems, um, actually, um, like really frequent urination and like having to feeling like I had to go to the bathroom all the time. And so just all of these kind of manifestations of stress that started to show up in my body. And it became really clear that I needed to slow down. And um, the summer before all of this started to happen, I had been traveling. I'd um, and it was kind of wild. Like I look back on it now and think, like, what in the world was I thinking? But like, I was um, on one trip in the Middle East for kind of like two weeks in conflict zones, and there was a lot of. Um, I saw a lot of things um, that my body hadn't had a chance to process. And then I was home in Canada for two days. And then I was um, out in Bangladesh for a few weeks. And then I was back in Ottawa. And I literally hadn't stopped the entire summer. Um, and so my body at the end of that just started to break down. And I ended up having to leave school. And basically, I, I kind of, my yoga practice became really foundational to my recovery. And I, I, I did have an active practice, um, but what was really my opportunity to reestablish a relationship with myself and befriend myself was my yin yoga practice. Um, and that idea of like being still was so new to me and learning how to be comfortable in stillness um, was, was just like such a new experience that ended up really transforming the way that I saw myself and the way that I kind of, my way of being in the world. Um, so that was kind of my entry point into the more kind of like slower contemplative practices of yoga. And at the time, I was always kind of intrigued when teachers in a yin class would kind of say something like, oh, well, this is a more restorative pose. Um, oftentimes with like a supported fish or a supported bridge, which aren't necessarily traditionally yin postures, but can oftentimes be incorporated into a class. And I became really interested in like, oh, well, what is this restorative yoga? And it took me a few years because um, I kind of, despite having this realization of needing to slow down, I mean, are usually our most important lessons are the ones that are the hardest for us to learn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I say my first burnout was at 20 because I've had more than one. Oh. Um, but um, yeah. And so um, over time, you know, time went on and, and then I kind of, after having another burnout kind of was drawn back to my mat into the practice and, and really with a curious heart to kind of explore what restorative was all about. And it was interesting because I made my way into my first restorative teacher training in many ways, like not totally knowing what I was signing myself up for. Um, because I think there's, there's a huge spectrum and a lot of variety when we look at restorative yoga. And so I kind of showed up and didn't totally know what I was walking into in the sense that um, this particular approach with this teacher, Andrea Peloso, who is um, a really well-known Canadian teacher, she's one of Judith Hanson Lazeter's assistants and has been for, you know, over a decade. Um, and 
she really, really emphasizes um, holding the poses for, for a longer period of time. Um, often in, in her trainings, you're holding poses for 20 minutes um, to really feel the effects and let the relaxation response kick in. Um, and I totally started to feel just that to re to connect with my own ability to relax in a way that was totally different um, and allowed me to go so much deeper in understanding the power of relaxation. And what kind of followed after that was as part of her training, there was an expectation that we started a daily practice and um, a daily practice where we did a pose every day for at least 20 minutes. Um, and I really quickly started to see the effects of that consistent practice um, on my mental health. But the other one that was really big for me was on my immune system um, and really noticed my tendency of kind of having an overactive immune system um, in terms of, of reacting to foods and colds. And um, it started to kind of calm down and I was feeling much more healthy and vibrant. So that's a little bit into kind of my journey of restorative. Um, and, and I think the second part is, in addition to starting to witness the changes in myself, as I started to work with students, just being really moved how it could have such a potent impact, especially for those who were struggling with stress and anxiety in terms of learning how to self-soothe. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, that's, it just like your little story speaks to how powerful that practice is. Like you said, doing one pose for 20 minutes, you know, like then you have people in yoga classes that are practicing for totally different reasons and classes that are getting packed and packed with like, you know, doing every hit pose under the sun um, so fast. Yeah. It's way too, way too <laughs> fast in my opinion, unless you're practicing for like cardiovascular benefits or something, uh, <laughs> just fine too. But yeah, that's, it, it is such a potent pr practice and you almost, um, most people have to be f like forced in <laughs> by some way by like, yeah, an extreme burnout or, um, a, a teacher that's kind of sprinkled it into a more regular Hatha or Vinyasa practice, like at the end, some supported postures with bolsters, maybe props that you don't necessarily use. And then, yeah, you kind of get that, that taste of it. Um, so you said you did that restorative training. Had you done a 200 hour? I forget if you said, if you'd done a 200 oh, yeah, hour. Yeah. Yeah. I started teaching in 2010 and was keeping a lot of yin and hatha based classes. Okay. Um, that particular restorative training a few years ago now, I'm so bad with years and time, um, but I've done um, additional training. So that was my first training. And um, I also did um, yoga medicines um, training on the nervous system and restorative yoga, mm -hmm, cool. uh, which was really cool. That was really neat because um, uh, Amy Sedgwick, who teaches the nervous system, part really went so deep into the science of the nervous system in a way that like I was totally geeking out the entire time. Yeah, oh, I bet. Yeah, it was really neat and let me kind of develop a deeper understanding like physiologically, like some of mm -hmm. the things that are happening and also um, 
kind of understanding deeper layers of why restorative yoga has been so powerful as well for folks who are are dealing with whether it's chronic conditions or healing from injuries or different sorts of treatments and the ways in which um, with the nervous system, we're able to support the body's own mechanisms for self-healing. Like that's what's so, this is why I get so passionate about restorative yoga is really because what we're trying to do is just support the body's own ability to heal itself. And of course, we're doing that in a regular yoga class too. Like, like in many ways, that's what yoga is all about. But in restorative yoga, we're tapping into the power of the nervous system. And when you tap into the power of the nervous system, it's like this like magical key to access everything in the body, right? Like to access our hormonal regulation and our digestion and to access our respiratory system and our sleep. Um, and it just, it's, it's so, it, I think it's like deceptively simple sometimes just like how much inducing the relaxation response can have a healing effect in our body. So that was really cool in the, the, um, the training on the nervous system and restorative yoga was gaining a deeper appreciation of that through yoga medicine. And then I've also done, um, different sorts of like trauma informed yoga trainings where restorative yoga has been a big key to that and, and a big kind of foundational piece of those trainings. And what's been really interesting for me, um, is, is kind of sampling, in different trainings, different people's approaches to restorative yoga, because in many ways, I actually think there's, um, I think this is my personal opinion, but I think there's like a larger degree of variety in how restorative is taught compared to some other styles of yoga. Like if I think of yin, for example, like oftentimes when you go to a yin class, um, like you could go kind of anywhere in the world and not that it would be the same, but, um, but there's, there's kind of some similarities in the sense that most people teach in with, you know, holding poses for between three to five minutes. And most people are, are, um, using kind of the canon of yin poses. Um, like it, it, there's like a similarity to it, but I think in restorative, there's been a lot of variance that's kind of come up over the years. And I think for all sorts of different reasons, like one reason um, that that really comes into play when we're looking at restorative yoga is the av- availability of props. And people have gotten really creative in different ways to create, to try and adapt some of the more prop heavy restorative yogas to something that people could do at home or do in a yoga studio where there's less props. Um, and so there just seems to be a lot of variety in restorative yoga, which I don't think is a bad thing at all. I think it's just something to be aware of. And as teachers to kind of be thoughtful about um, what it is that we're trying to achieve and in a class and, and how we go about doing that. Okay. So you just like mentioned so many things. I kind of want to like geek out on a few of them. Um, yeah. <laughs> so the first one, um, if you could go over a little bit more, um, and in your personal experience, you were sharing earlier about how, um, there were these sort of physical manifestations of an emotional, um, 
uh, trauma um, and a witnessing that hasn't been worked through the body sort of like was like desperately trying to tell you something in the the way that you had to like constantly pee the way you couldn't write anymore using your hands um so can you speak a little bit number one about how like why does that come across like why why does that happen in bodies like how does this trauma sort of write itself into our bodies and like trying to speak out into our um physical ways so that our, our brains can like sort of recognize that sort of, our brains can like see that oh, so that's number one okay and then um number two is then like the the fix of it which is this whole idea that this restorative yoga can tap into a system of our bodies that allows for self-healing and how those two work together if that makes sense. It totally makes sense. These are like ginormous questions that I feel like I could like write books on. Um, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I love it. And I love that you're asking these questions because like these are the questions that get me so excited. <laughs> right. Us, so, us too. Us too. Yeah. About restorative. Um, and I, yeah. So, oh my gosh, like where to begin here? Um, I think, so in the first question, I think, so talking about kind of like the way that trauma starts to manifest in our bodies and and how that starts to play out, um, this is a question that I think honestly is going to be like a lifelong question for me in terms of my exploration of the study of yoga. Um, and I think my understanding of this is like constantly evolving, um, but I think in many ways, okay, so I'm, I'll answer it in a few different ways. So the first kind of maybe like more scientific answer would be kind of just like thinking about chronic stress. And so in my own life, being someone who was an anxious type um, and has had my own journey with mental health starting as a teenager and being someone who... Um, so when we talk about anxiety and tendencies towards anxiety, we can, what I think is really useful is to think about the idea of like hypervigilance. And to me, even just the word, like, like it makes me feel in my body. Like if you just like say the word hypervigilance, it makes me like, like just kind of start to tense up and like look around and your senses are all activated. And, right. and so I can look back at my own life and I can see my younger self going through life in this kind of hypervigilance state where the body is constantly ready for fight or flight. And the body is like constantly in the heightened sense of state of awareness where the senses are on overdrive, where the muscles are engaged, where, you know, like you're prepared for anything to happen. And that kind of hypervigilance as well as anxiety and panic attacks and like anything that could go along with that um, is taking a toll on the body. And even if we're just thinking about like, just like feel like hypervigilance in the sense of just like, like an awakened state of stress, like being someone who is working at the office. I mean, I work a lot in workplaces. And so, so if you think about someone working like their nine to five job, but running through their day from meeting to meeting to meeting, thinking about all of the deadlines that are coming and just being in like a really awakened, active state the entire time. And the fact that um, 
And this is where I think it gets so interesting is when we're thinking about, so I've become really interested lately in like thinking about ideas of like the creative cycle and the fact that, um, that stress is really beneficial and that stress, we, we require a degree of stress, even just to get out of bed in the morning. And we require degree of stress, you know, to talk to someone new or to ask someone on a date or to, um, you know, do a podcast interview. And, you know, there's a degree of stress that is required in order to create. And that is a really beautiful thing. But the in kind of in a balanced way, that creation is followed by a period of recovery. And so I think chronic stress, right, starts to manifest um, when we no longer are introducing those periods of recovery. And I think what starts to happen is that if we're not creating those periods of recovery, where we're letting the body and the mind heal themselves, as well as just process, like process through what's happening in our day-to-day lives, then all of that starts to accumulate. And it starts to accumulate, I think, in the different layers of our being. And so, um, I mean, in yoga, there's so many different ways to like talk about the wholeness of our being, whether we're talking um, like anatomically, whether we're looking at the chakra system, whether we're, we're, we're looking at the system of like the five koshas, the layers, the sheaths of our being. Um, we can start to experience this stress physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and wherever it starts to appear, it's going to um, try and make itself known. And I think this is what's kind of interesting to me is, um, so I've become really interested in sort of like, like taking that more integrated approach and, and in particular in the last few months, I have become really interested in like the systems of, of the koshas. Um, and so looking at, um, the, the five bodies, the physical, the, um, the subtle, the prana body, the uh, mental and emotional, the wisdom body and the bliss body. And so thinking about, um, you know, if, if trauma is going to manifest, if stress is going to manifest, And if we're not paying attention to it in one area, then it might start to appear in another. So if I'm experiencing mental stress and I'm not paying attention to it on the mental and emotional level, then it may start to impact me on a, a physical level. And so like thinking about the integrated wholeness of the body and how our bodies our bodies are are always trying to heal themselves. Like we're we're resilient beings, and so thinking about how um, our bodies are always going to try and bring themselves back into homeostasis, back into balance. And if we're not paying attention to the signs, then the signs are going to become louder. So that is is kind of some of my thoughts, I guess, on 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 that. I don't know if I totally answered your question. No, you did. I, I loved it. Like, that's exactly, yeah, like the, the sympathetic nervous system side of it. That's that physical, right? That's that first layer. And if you ignore, <laughs> if you just sort of like, no, that's not happening, like full out in denial about it. Like, no, I'm not in, in hypervigilance. I'm not, you know, you don't recognize that anxiety brought about it. It, it sort of delves into these other layers, which totally makes sense to me, right? It's going to it's going to manifest in some way. It's going to 
it's going to come exactly. out in some way. It's just, it's just who knows. Every person is going to have it in a different way. Maybe it's sleep for someone. Maybe it's not sleep for someone else. Maybe it's eating. Maybe it's like a control issue for someone else. Like we, it's like, that's like the magic of this science that it's unpredictable <laughs> in a way. Yeah. yeah. And like what you're saying is, is I think like it, it brings us back to this point of like, why yoga can look so different for different people because it's such a personalized approach depending on what's happening in someone's body and the fact that different kind of styles of yoga different poses different approaches to yoga will have kind of maybe more or less therapeutic for someone depending on on what's happening in their body and and what needs to be healed and worked through and so to move to kind of like the second part of your question in terms of like thinking about like the restorative function and the self-healing and that's right what you were just talking about in terms of thinking about the parasympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system being kind of if we go back to thinking about the creative cycle and and creating being followed by periods of recovery, tuning into the parasympathetic system regularly in such a way that we're able to self-soothe and create space, like create a space and a possibility for healing to happen on its own. And like, I just find it so mind blowing. Like, I'm not sure if I will ever get over this, but that like (laughs) the fact that like the parasympathetic nervous system and by doing something so simple, like lengthening our exhale, which activates the parasympathetic nervous system that just lengthening the exhale can control so many different systems in the body. Like I just find it fascinating that the nervous system, the um, autonomic nervous system is like this gateway into, um, into so many of the different systems in the body and, and just kind of that wholeness and integrated nature of the body. Agreed. (laughs) It's like magical almost, you know, it's how is it possible that just lengthening my exhale? Um, but what I think is really cool about um, about restorative, and this was like, so when we talk about kind of like strengthening vagal tone or strengthening um, the parasympathetic nervous system and strengthening our ability to move in between um, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic or move in between states of rest and states of stress with more ease and more grace. Um, what I think is really cool and why I became also really fascinated in restorative yoga um, is, is how deep you're able to go fairly quickly. And so if I think about, you know, if I'm teaching a more Hatha or flow-based class and um, and I could be incorporating a lot of different mechanisms to soothe um, the, the parasympathetic to kind of trigger the vagus nerve. Um, I could be, you know, incorporating a lot of kind of pranayam that's based on, on lengthening the exhale. I could be incorporating postures that are doing that as well. Um, and, and, and meditation and those things are going to bring the body into a more relaxed state. But my experience with restorative yoga, and this is, I think, why I'm so passionate about the practice, is that if we're able to set the body up in a way that is really supported, where we are feeling safe 
And we create an environment that is soothing to our whole selves. We're able to get into that really deep layer and trigger the relaxation response um, in such a way that we can experience the shift quite quickly and dramatically. And so there's something that that kind of you feel, and it's it's so subtle in some ways, for me at least. But when I'm in a restorative pose, and, and often when we talk about the relaxation response, we talk about um, we talk about inducing it in different ways through different techniques in yoga. Um, but to actually like fully induce the relaxation response, um, it takes 10 to 15 minutes, depending on the person. And mm. that's when we've moved into that parasympathetic state. So if we think of that spectrum of from sympathetic to parasympathetic, it, it, just by doing yoga, we could be helping someone move more towards parasympathetic. We could be helping them start to slow their heart rate, start to slow their breathing, but to actually move into the parasympathetic state from the sympathetic state, it takes about 10 to 15 minutes. And in restorative yoga, you can feel that transition in your body. And it's so cool. Like I usually feel it in my body as, um, it's all of a sudden, I'll just feel like the real, the total release of my diaphragm. And it's like, oh, there I am. Like now I'm there. I've like dropped in. And, and mm-hmm. it's not that I wasn't relaxed before then because you're, you're working your way there. But all of a sudden you feel that shift where you're in the parasympathetic state. And then your body is, is really able to like amp up the healing, which I think is, is really interesting. And one of the reasons, again, why, I think restorative yoga is a really beneficial practice for so many to kind of explore is to start to learn what the relaxation response feels like in their body and the ways in which in a personalized way they can trigger that relaxation response because it is going to look different for different people. Mm-hmm. Um, so a couple of questions again. <laughs> so yeah, I love, yeah, I'm also fascinated with the breathing stuff. Is there, number one, is there a breathing technique that you favor for most people? Like, is there a four in, eight out, or is it like something different for you? Or is there like, I know some people like Tiffany really likes doing, um, the half, uh, what's I'm gonna call it? Alternate, alternate nostrils. Nostril. So where, oh, yeah. Yeah, where it's like not a full closure of the nostril. It's like a half closure of the nostril. Um, and that one, that one's really good as well. Um, and then number two. So you're starting to already get into it about this idea of like, as a teacher, um, our role in helping people ease their way into that relaxation response. Um, knowing that we, we have to provide sort of a sense of safety, number one, for them in order to let the physical body to let go, in order for the this parasympathetic to rise up. Um, and what other components there that you might um, be looking at, whether it's like lighting, uh, props, um, of course, props, but like lighting, tone of voice. Um, yeah, if you could speak to a little bit of that, I think that'd be awesome yeah yeah okay great um yeah breathing techniques I mean I love the breath (laughs) and so it's really hard I don't know if there's one that I favor necessarily um I, I I incorporate a lot of breath work into my classes um and I think it really depends on on kind of like the 
what I'm trying to achieve. Um, there's, I really like to start a class, um, just by, uh, and in part it's because it's self-soothing to have self-touch. Um, but I really like to start a class, um, with some people call it heart breath or three part breath, but breathing into the belly and then the heart and up to the collarbone and then letting the the collarbone, the heart, and the belly. Um, but with a hand on the belly and the hand on the heart, if it's comfortable for people, um, I think it's like a really powerful way to start class because it starts to bring us into our body in a really kinesthetic way where you're able to feel the rise and the fall of the belly and the heart um, and start to kind of harmonize your mind with your breath in in not just like that kind of intellectual way, but in that like kinesthetic, that embodied way of knowing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and because it's self-soothing to, to have like that self-touch. Um, and for a lot of people, um, and we can talk about this a little bit more too, when we talk about like ways to the second part of or your second question around um, like techniques and, and creating an environment for relaxation. But um, for some people, um, and there's all sorts of kind of like physiological and evolutionary reasons for this. Um, but there can be a vulnerability around the heart and the belly because this is where our vital organs are. And so, yeah. So for people also like having touch on these areas of the body can feel really safe and protected, especially if they're in a new environment, right? Like it's, it's almost like a, it's almost like you're creating a little like shield around yourself. Um, So that's one that I really like to start class with, but oftentimes like the, I will use counting techniques, but sometimes too, um, I'll just invite people to just focus on finding a longer exhale. Um, because I think that just like, I like to use a lot of, um, teaching by invitation in my class and teaching with lots of options. And so to me, like, like just inviting them to find a longer exhale. And sometimes I'll suggest like to make the exhale twice as long or, or that sort of thing, but like really letting them kind of keep the counting in a restorative class, because mostly we're doing things that are um, like supine or we're, we're low on the ground. I don't tend to incorporate a lot of alternate nostril breathing, but I love that practice and would do that in like mm-hmm. a flow and half the class. So yeah, there's, um, there's so many different, so many different breathing techniques. Um, I also really like to sometimes um, incorporate breath along with visualization. So there's this, um, there's this little meditation that actually, um, I borrow with gratitude. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the love your brain program. Um, so the love your brain program is a really neat program, um, that was, created in the States by a former Olympic level snowboarder, Kevin Pierce and his family after Kevin sustained a traumatic brain injury, um, leading up to the Vancouver Olympics. And, um, they created this organization as a way, um, to give back to the traumatic brain injury community and to, um, they were really looking to kind of create, an environment that would support the healing as well as build community for folks and 
who have had traumatic brain injuries as well as their caregivers. Um, and so it's a really neat program. I'd encourage anyone who's interested to go take a look at it. They offer a free six-week series for traumatic brain injury Um anyone who's experienced a traumatic brain injury as well as their caregivers. And it's really thoughtfully put together in terms of um, thinking about areas of the brain and neuroplasticity where we could bring focus um, after, after that type of injury in order to promote healing as well as community building. Um, so that program is a really neat program. And we have, um, we run the program here in Ottawa and I teach in the program. Um, and there's this neat little meditation that I, I really like, and it seems to resonate with, um, with visual learners. So my background is actually in higher education. And so I like focus a lot on learning styles in my classes. So yeah, I'm always thinking cool. about like, Aesthetic, auditory, like visual learners and how to accommodate everyone. Um, but so there's this breathing exercise that I really like um, that seems to resonate with with some folks um, where you're actually like using the breath and visualizing, like sending like a healing color to different areas of the body. And so like on an inhale, you would gather up that healing color around the heart center. And as you exhale, you would send it to like the toes or to the legs or down through the arms. And um, you would send it up to the brain. And so going through the body and, and like, and kind of visually letting the breath flow to different areas, but bringing that color as well. It's kind of sweet. sometimes after class, people will come up to me and they'll like be like, my color was purple and it's the same color as your shirt or like, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so it ends up being an interesting community builder too. Um, but I also like to kind of incorporate ways of breathing that are kind of, visual as well is my long answer mm. to a breathing question. Um, but the second question around like creating an environment for relaxation. Um, I actually think this is so important. So I was, um, I was listening to your podcast with, um, Aisha from a few yeah. weeks ago and was like totally fangirling. It was such a great episode. Yeah, she's awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> now because you're so wonderful. Um, but I want to kind of like pick up on, um, she was talking about how um, the therapeutic relationship is often kind of more important than the modality. And I think we can apply this into like a yoga setting of like, like creating the right environment is often more important than than the actual poses that we're providing. Um, and I think that we really see this with restorative yoga is that we're looking to create an environment that feels really safe, inviting and nurturing because we're asking people to do something that's quite uncomfortable. So for a lot of people, um, and in a restorative yoga class, you would usually be coming into a pose, depending on how it's the class is taught from five to 20 minutes. And so like being in one pose for five to 20 minutes, um, a lot of that will end up being silent space, um, can be quite uncomfortable for people. And so creating an environment that feels really safe and nurturing and open um, is, is, I think, actually at the heart of kind of teaching this style of yoga. And so much of my work as a restorative yoga teacher um, I mean, it's, you're really not saying much. So in a restorative class, like I, 
I take the time to show people how to set up the pose for themselves and the different props and the different variations. Um, And then I'm looking around, watching people set up, and I'm looking to see how their bodies are reacting to their setup. And in some ways, it might be that we need to twig something. Um, And in other cases, it might be that the way their body is reacting to a setup and to a pose, we actually need to make a fair bit of modifications to that pose in order for it to be a place where they can relax. But after I've got everyone set up, like I, towards the beginning of the class, might be guiding more breath-based or visualization exercises, relaxation techniques, like progressive relaxation. Um, But as the class moves on, I'm getting more and more silent. Um, And so really it's, as a teacher, it's such a different style of class to teach because you're spending a lot of the time really just observing how people's bodies are reacting to the poses and where you might be able to um, to bring a little bit more comfort to them. And so there's kind of ways generally speaking, that we can bring as much comfort as possible. So um, I know you mentioned, for instance, like lighting. And so, you know, finding um, a dim lighting, but what's usually recommended, and it's not always possible at in different environments, but um, is to have covering over the eyes. So whether that's through an eye pillow, or whether that's um, like using a scarf, or like, even like the sleeve of a sweatshirt. Um, but creating a dark environment. Um, And the reason that that is really helpful is to help promote sensory withdrawal. And so to, to kind of like, we are, there's so much that's happening as we move throughout our day and we have all of this sensory stimulation. And so creating that darkness is, is soothing for the nervous system. Um, The other thing, and and it depends on the environment, like sometimes I teach with music, sometimes I teach without, but again, music is going to be adding a sensory input that the brain is, is processing. And so as much as possible, like keeping music that is like really, really like background music, if you're having it at all. Um, And so it's not things that are going to like suck people in. Um, it's interesting. And I think too, this like is thinking about where our music comes from because it's happened to me before where I'll like stumble upon a, a piece of music that I think is like really relaxing. And then um, someone will tell me it's from a movie that they saw and that it was not like that the scene in which it was used during the movie, like it would conjure up different memories for them. And so I think yeah, and it's it gets it, it's interesting. Not that we can predict that all the time, because um, I had um, I had an instance once where someone like sometimes like people have like very personalized memories of music, and so this is why why at times and with certain populations, um, if I'm teaching a more class that's um, directed um, at a population where there might be trauma, then I. I do not use music just because it's hard to predict Um, because sometimes like there's really personalized association with music as well. And I've had that come up in class before um, where people have, have had like a really personal story about a piece of music and how it's affected them. Um, But so being mindful of music, Um, but mostly in restorative yoga, like what we're really trying to do um, 
And, and this is where it becomes so much of an art is we're really trying to focus on the props and using the props in such a way that we're creating a real sense of support for the body. One of the kind of key areas that, um, that tends to be really potent and powerful is if you're able to find proper support for someone's neck and head. And the more that we're able to support the neck, generally speaking, um, people will be able to relax deeper. Um, and, and that can take a little bit of tinkering sometimes because if people have had experience with um, like whiplash, for example, or if people have different kind of neck and shoulder injury or strain, um, it can take a little bit to kind of find the right head support for someone. Um, but the other thing that I think is key to teaching this style of yoga is just to really emphasize that it's about how it feels and not how it looks. And that mm-hmm. as much as possible, like we're trying to bring the body into a place that feels soothing and relaxing. And so if that is not happening in a pose, then it may mean that that pose is not for them at this time. And so when I'm teaching restorative yoga, um, like way more so than in other classes, I'm really emphasizing that um, like if this pose does not feel good or if you're not able to get comfortable, like come out. And I'm also emphasizing that if a pose does feel really good, there's no reason why they can't stay there. Um, And they could stay there, you know, as long as they like and rejoin the class whenever. But that as much as possible, we're trying to find the poses that feel really good. And that will look different for different people. So an example is um, I've worked with some um, students and clients who are dealing with um, very high levels of anxiety. And in some cases for these students, like being on their back is not restful. Um, and for these students, um, we, we basically are always bringing them into a space that is a sideline shavasana or a side opener, side twists sometimes. Um, but in part, that goes back to um, that idea of like, the organs can feel vulnerable sometimes. And so having being on your side can sometimes feel a little bit more protective for people. Um, And having kind of like blankets and sandbags and different things like that can also help. Um, But but in part, it's it's like an art of, of getting used to your students and what it is that is going to bring them into a state of relaxation. I have another um, student who's been practicing with me for a while. And for him, it's backbends. It's like opening his chest and his heart. And I can put him in a backbend and he will be nearly asleep within two minutes. Like it's like for him, that's like the magic pose, you know? And so in part, we're, we're trying to both as teachers, but we're also trying to encourage our students to start to notice like, what is it that feels good for you? And, and how is it that you can self-soothe? And what, where are the places that you feel tension? Like a, a big example that, um, I think a lot of times, um, 
as yoga teachers, we might be used to our students. Like, you know, if we if we say the cue in Shavasana, um, you know, like relax your jaw or relax, you know, your tongue from the roof of your mouth. And people come up after class and are like, wow, I never realized I had so much tension in my jaw. Um, and restorative yoga is just this opportunity to to kind of like explore even deeper, like to notice um, in some cases, like a big aha moment for me in my practice um, was realizing the tension that I was holding in my pelvic floor when I was on my side. And then if I brought my knees, in some cases, just an inch lower, I could totally release that. And that's something that I've brought into my life and has made like a huge difference because for a while I was struggling with a hypertonic pelvic floor. Um, and so it's like these little moments of kind of like being curious about how we might subtly shift things even just a little bit. And so in many ways, it becomes a place to practice tenderness towards ourselves and to practice taking the time and the space to like really set ourselves up in a way that feels nourishing. I would expect um, in your classes, say you're teaching like a newer group of people that over time you were ideally looking to see a huge range in um, kind of positions in like a, my experience of restorative is kind of when I think when I'm feeling that deeper parasympathetic um, activation is that when the teacher is saying, okay, like you're starting to come out of this pose, we're going to start moving towards the next one. My response is like, I could care less what you're saying right now. <laughs> like I am in absolutely no rush to come out of this pose instead of in other classes where you're like, Oh, what did they say? Yeah. Got to do this thing right now. It's, you're just kind of, yeah, you're, you're deep. You're out of it. And you're like, I'm going to get there in like two minutes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's a very different pace, which I think is like really beautiful to create like a place where people are starting to like slow things down in that way. And what I, I normally notice like at the beginning um, is, you know, like people will be a little bit quicker in the transitions between poses, but exactly as you said, Nat, like as, as the class continues, like, and as the class continues, like I, I am always giving people the option to stay in a pose if it feels good for them. Um, and towards the end of class, people will start to take that option because they'll be like, I'm not moving from here, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I feel yeah. really cozy. Um, and so, um, yeah, but it is true. Like the, as, as it goes on, like, because people are coming into that more relaxed state and it's actually like really cool to watch as a teacher too. Um, as people come up in between the poses, just to see the progressive relaxation on their face and just like how it changes as they move through the class is, is kind of really interesting. Oh yeah. That's really interesting. You're making me just like want to lie down and grab a bolster and. I know, right? <laughs> Well, Nat, you also like just got out of bed. I know. So you probably just want to go back to sleep. I know. I totally could. Just like, let's have a little session and I'll just go back down. No. But it is a good reminder. Like I know um, in the evening for me, like just on a personal practice basis, like, you know, you go to your things that you think relax you for a lot of people. That's just like watching a little bit of TV, turn your brain off, right? Like that's our attempt to not be thinking, right? Let's put some other, just watch other things happening. Hopefully we'll stop thinking. Um, or you might grab a book, which is another one. 
I mean that I don't know I don't know what the effects of reading on the parasympathetic, but it's gotta have some effect because like often I read and then I fall asleep. Um I think it depends what book totally like, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I sometimes in my own body and I'm like quite vocal about this in my classes. Um sometimes if I'm I have a tendency of getting really sucked into books and I like yeah. feel mm-hmm. an activation in me. Like I feel okay. my muscles, you know, but I think Totally. Not, but yeah. it can be relaxing. I think it just depends on like our personality and the books we're reading and, and how we're engaging with them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I have like all my yoga props, like right beside, uh, kind of like in this sideboard piece of furniture. And even just like being so lazy, you know, you're just like, Oh, I have to go in there and like get my mat and get my bolster and like maybe some myofascial release tools or my strap. <laughs> but like really, like when you do it, you pull a couple things out and yeah, just do like a supported twist side to side or something or do totally. something and put something eye pillow on. Mm. Um, it's just, it is medicine, you know? It feels yeah. so good. Yeah. Well, and like, I think it's interesting um, because I know in the example you were giving, it was kind of like, oh yeah, like before bed or that kind of thing. And um, I think that can be a really powerful time for people to practice if like all sorts of reasons, if you're thinking about sleep hygiene and ways to prepare the body for sleep. But um, even actually if you are practicing during like the afternoon or I actually really love my restorative practice in that like afternoon lull. And I'm able mm. to do that because, you know, I don't have a desk job from nine to five. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, or if you were to practice right when you get home from work as a way to kind of like reset and re-energize, um, even practicing at that time of day is helping to prepare your body for sleep later on. Um, and so like for some people like that, that time of day can feel a little bit better, but um, in the sense that like they have more energy to like set themselves up or like it's easier maybe to get into a routine. Um, I think like the biggest thing that we know with like the relaxation response and building resiliency is just like finding a way and practices that we can do over time with repetition. And um the more that we're able to do that. And it doesn't mean doing it every day. Like that's super powerful, but even, you know, um, incorporating like restorative, for instance, or more restorative practices, like a few times a week or even once a week to start. And it doesn't have to be 20 minutes. It could be start, you know, at five minutes and you build yourself up. But, um, is that we have this opportunity to, to strengthen the vagal tone over time um and to strengthen resiliency and it's really cool um I've actually because I'm really interested in this sort of thing and and I'm always kind of like like watching my body as I'm relaxing um I've been able to notice um uh an increase in my heart rate variability so um heart rate variability is the indicator that we use to measure the strength of our um, parasympathetic nervous system and to measure the ability with which we're able to move between states of stress and ease or um, and rest with more ease. And so when we're looking at a higher heart rate variability, um, which you would find during a time of rest, it would mean that there's more of um, 
a dis like a, a difference on the inhale there are more heartbeats per minute and on the exhale there are fewer and the wider oh, yeah so the I never knew that yeah, yeah it's cool. really cool I think because it like it's it's like so that's how we measure like there's no direct way to measure um the the strength of the the um the vagus nerve and to measure the parasympathetic tone, we use heart rate variability. And there's actually really neat. There's all sorts of people who are developing products these days. So it'll be interesting to see how it evolves in the next few years, but developing products that actually like measure your heart rate variability on like kind of like a thing you would wear on your wrist or that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So that you kind of know where you are in, in your nervous system. Um, and so it's kind of cool. Like over time, I've been able to like really notice um, that increased variability. And like I can pay attention to, you know, when I'm in a restorative pose or if I'm just in, in a class um, in Shavasana and starting to feel the difference in in the heart rate and, you know, the the more beats per minute on the inhale, less on the exhale. Um, and to start to kind of like tune into the way in which my body has been changing over time. And so like being able to see that in, in that measure, like physiologically, but also be able to, it's, it's more subtle, like notice it in my day. If the time of stress, like I'm able to bring myself in back into a more regulated state with more ease. Um, and so it's like, I, like for me, I feel like one of the really inspiring things about restorative yoga is like, it's an opportunity for us to learn how to self-soothe and it's an opportunity for us to learn how to kind of care for ourselves, um, which many of us are not practiced at. And, um, like there's, a, a little poem that I use oftentimes when I'm teaching, um, from Naira Wahid and it's, um, just for tonight, just for tonight, be the tenderest thing in all of the universe. And this idea of encouraging people to like find tenderness towards themselves and like care towards themselves, um, I think is really empowering and is something that can transfer off the mat into like how we prepare for bed and set ourselves up for sleep or like how we take our 15 minute breaks. If that's something we have or how we, you know, um, take care of ourselves during stressful situations. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's so awesome. And yeah, that's a really lovely poem. I think it also like, for me, the, the whole like self care, self love thing, it just goes to prove that like, proving to yourself that you are worth the time and the effort bless you excuse me thank you (laughs) worth that like time and effort investment into um this aspect of it and like you were saying like health um we have all these other markers of health right like oh are your thyroid hormones up are your whatever hormones up but we we don't have a way to measure parasympathetic activity we don't really have a way to measure our um health of our nervous system which is like when you think about it, the nervous system controls everything. It controls your bowel movements. It controls your brain function. It is your brain function, right? It, it like 
is threaded through every system of the body. And yet we don't have a consistent way of measuring it until, you know, heart rate variability started to come out as like this, this one way. And, um, yeah, it's just so interesting. Like that resilience of the nervous system is absolutely essential to human health. It's just, it's just not like, you know, you don't go to your doctor and he's like, you got to work on parasympathetic tone girl like they don't say that right Mm -hmm. and there's no pill for it there it's just there's nothing for it um except for yoga i guess yoga yeah Yeah. which is so (laughs) interesting because i mean it tends to be a common experience it's certainly been my experience of kind of going to the doctor and like so often the things that we're experiencing we might be told are the cause of stress right um and so but then like to to not, but you're right. Like it's a really interesting analysis, um, Sandy, of like that that there isn't like there aren't these metrics that we can attach to it in the same way, which I think is why like building our capacity to have an embodied awareness can be so powerful, so that yeah. we can notice those changes within ourselves, right? And like so much of, um. Like for me, so much of what yoga is about is um, is kind of like just creating a little bit more spaciousness. And like that spaciousness kind of comes to be in so many different ways. But one of the things um, that was actually a huge takeaway for me from the nervous system and restorative yoga module, we talked a lot about um kind of repatterning the way in which we respond to situations. And so um, like traditionally, if we experience a stressor, we have the activation of the sympathetic nervous system. And that is kind of primarily coming um, from the older areas of the brain. And we're experiencing all the physiological changes that go along with that, like muscular engagement, maybe some sweating, pupils dilating, you know, um, the the breath becomes a little bit more shallow, shallow and the heart rate increases. Um, but what, um, but the more that we're able to like build in a spaciousness that happens in between a stimulus and our response to that stimulus, the more power there is um, in terms of like making choices to care for ourselves. And so like building in that period of spaciousness and in the the nervous system and restorative yoga model module, we talked about how um, how yoga can help us in repatterning so that rather than have that approach that's, um, that's bottom up in terms of um, the older areas of the brain firing um, and the physiological changes happening in the sympathetic nervous system, if we're able to build in a little bit more space to recognize that maybe what's in front of us is is not actually as much of a threat as we think. And we can use the newer areas of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, to kind of analyze and and see the ways in which what is in front of us might not be as much of a threat as we think it is. The more we're able to prevent ourselves from like coming into that state of hypervigilance to begin with. And this idea of like, just like creating some space and awareness, 
I think is one of the things that we can train ourselves to do in restorative yoga is to to train ourselves in this non-judgmental way to start to notice the thoughts that are um, are happening in our mind to start to notice our experience and just to create like to to delve into what it feels like to have more spaciousness in our lives um, so that we can start to repattern our ways of being. Yeah, that's so I I think what you're talking about I'm trying to go through like the the what I know scientifically with the brain um Of course. So you're talking specifically or maybe more towards like the way we react without consciously thinking is po- possibly more um that like amygdala reaction from fear. So the amygdala stores fear. Um, and so when we're just going about our day, kind of reacting one thing to another to another, that might be more like a fear-based response that we react from if we're not being very mindful about our choices. So we're trying to train away from that fear-based response, even though some things don't, it just, you're not necessarily afraid, but there's a lot of like things that are just automatic that are, that kind of, it is when you think about it, like a fear-based response, I can go into that, but I won't. Um, so you're training more of like, <laughs> like you said, the prefrontal cortex to come on, to actually think about what is going on, um, to slow down how we react and, and be more mindful in those choices. Yeah. Yeah. That's that? exactly yeah. it. So yeah, okay. um, it, we're, we're kind of training ourselves to, um, to, we're, we're training and we know that yoga can shrink the area of the amygdala and that it can increase the area of the prefrontal cortex, um, as well as areas in the limbic system of the brain. And so, yeah, we're, we're, we're training the body to, um, instead of like, instead of the amygdala firing and everything kind of like coming on board, we're creating a little bit of spaciousness in between so that before the amygdala fires, we're able to go to the prefrontal cortex, which takes longer. Like it takes, mm-hmm. Because of just where the way that the brain is built, um, it it and this is why um, it's sometimes called the difference between like a bottom up versus a top down approach. So the top down approach is using those newer areas of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, um, to to kind of and going from there. And then the idea is in many situations, um, because our amygdala might be overreacting we're able to, when we go top down to realize like, oh, actually, so there's an example from the book. Um, oh shoot. What's it called? Um, Buddha's brain. Um, it was written like 10 years ago and it was one of the big like yoga and neuroplasticity books. Um, and there's an example in that book of, um, uh, if you're walking through a forest and you see like a, a long brown squiggly thing up ahead, if you're having that bottom up approach, you are immediately thinking like, oh my gosh, this is a snake and there's poisonous snakes. Like, and your body starts to maybe freak out a little bit. <laughs> um, whereas the top down would be like, take, like having a little bit more spaciousness there so that the prefrontal cortex can actually realize like, oh, actually that's just a stick and there's no need for me to, you know, send the alarm bells. Mm-hmm. And we know that anxiety and overactivity of the amygdala are highly, well, the, the anxiety occurring is an overreaction of the amygdala, I would say. Yeah. So most people are kind of experiencing that either 
all day, every day, or at parts of their day or at parts of their life somewhat. Yeah. So everyone can benefit from from this, like you call the, the practice of spaciousness. It's exactly what it is. It's just like that space of how your brain fires, kind of rewiring how it fires. So cool. Yeah. There's a really cool quote that I use often in class um, from Viktor Frankl. Um, and it's between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. And I like the, the quote because it's like, it's like we are constantly like throughout our entire day, there is, there's stimuli, like there's things happening and, and we can respond right away, like on autopilot. Um, but what, what, what yoga and mindfulness and, and meditation, like all of these practices can help us to find that freedom and growth in, in finding that spaciousness to actually choose our response, which is so empowering and, and I think is honestly, like from, from my opinion is, is honestly like one of the keys to kind of, um, to, to working through like this epidemic of stress that, and, and many of the ways in which stress is affecting mental health in such a widespread way right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that quote. I think that's, that's beautiful. Like, that's really perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so we're getting a little bit long in the tooth. Uh, shall we wrap this up? And I guess any final um, things you want to communicate, like lessons, uh, words of inspiration? What an invitation. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Um, I think just that I think in... I mean, we know that one of the things that I'm really inspired by is just that there, that we are dealing with. So I used to work in higher education and dealt a lot with um, young people and just the degree to which um, stress and mental health has become in, in many ways, like a real epidemic right now, I think. Um, and I just, in my own life, there has been such a value in finding spaces where I can learn how to be comfortable in stillness and, and experiencing the deep healing powers of incorporating more stillness and rest. And um, I think just to mention briefly that like sometimes people don't really understand why rest is needed in their day to day life, in addition to sleeping, for instance, or having a nap. Um, and just to mention briefly that like when we're sleeping, our body is still reacting to to stimuli, especially um, if we're in sleeping states where we're dreaming. We may experience um, all of the same physiological effects to a different degree. But um, if you think about waking up from a nightmare and feeling that your body is tense, like, and so the idea with restorative is that we're creating a space. Um, as much as possible where we're able to experience like just rest, like just deep rest. Um, and that that provides us this opportunity to learn to care for ourselves in a different way and also to become really creative and explore how we can support our bodies. Um, one of the things that's really fun with restorative is just like playing with different props and seeing what resonates and what feels really good for you. Um, so yeah, I, I think 
I think my my last little message would just be if you've never explored restorative yoga, then um, maybe give it a try. Um, you can start really simply. Um, I think it's really nice to, I use just Insight Timer, which is an app um, to set a timer. Um, and that way you don't have to worry about, have I been in this long enough? Is it time to come out? And there's lots of nice calming sounds you can pick to wake you up or bring you back. Um, if you do fall asleep in restorative yoga, that can be common and is just a sign that maybe um, you're in need of more rest. And over time, the more that you incorporate more rest into your day, then you'll be able to enter into a deep state of rest um, without necessarily falling into sleep. Um, and the only other thing I would say is um, just to to get curious about the ways in which um, if you are already practicing restorative, or if you are a teacher, how you might be able to incorporate some restorative yoga um, into your offerings. And so one thing that I'll do sometimes, for instance, is um, just to kind of tease the what what is an option in restorative yoga is instead of a shavasana, I might offer a Stonehenge posture, um, which is where you bring two blocks on their highest height, about a foot apart, placing a bolster over top, and you come to rest the middle of the calves on top of the bolster with a bend in the knee and a bend in the hips. And this um, is really cool to offer sometimes as an alternative to Shavasana, because it actually um, makes Shavasana a lot more comfortable if anyone is dealing with low back or SI pain, releases the low back and um, releases the hips as well. And so just kind of like, like starting to explore what what incorporating maybe just one restorative pose into your classes could look like, um, just to show students that there are different options of supporting themselves. Beautiful. I love that. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on. I feel like that was like dipping my big toe in the ocean <laughs> restored. <laughs> yeah, I have. We could go for like seven more hours today, but I have to go to work, unfortunately. Um, so we'll, we'll probably, I'll probably message you with some questions or things that we want to, um, unravel a bit more. Um, so we'll put your website on uh, as a link. People can check you out and then see if if anyone is in the Ottawa area, if they want to look up your offerings, because you often do pretty, pretty lovely sounding workshops. Um, I do. Yeah. And I'm looking yeah. for building a training to um, really focus on the nervous system and stress. So in the new year, but oh, yeah, awesome. I do lots of, yeah, if anyone's in Ottawa or if you're not in Ottawa and just want to connect, I'm always, um, it's always lovely to connect with, with other yoga lovers and yoga teachers. Perfect. All right. Well, yeah, thank you so much again. And I can't wait to listen to this and then write down all the things that I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have all the resources on um, the show notes, everything she mentioned. And yeah, of course, her, her contacts as well. Yeah, thank you so much. I think it was a really, really informative um, uh, episode Thanks today. Thank so yeah, much for great. having me. Such a pleasure to, to chat with you both. Yeah. Of all course. right. <laughs> all right, guys. Bye. bye.